All right, Howlers, let's get howling. But first, a couple quick warnings. First warning, this podcast contains adult content. Don't be a pixie. Second warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the entire Red Rising saga. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy, email howlerpod at gmail.com. Visit us at howlerpod.com and rate and review us five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only... We will make you run down the stairs holding a rock with your eyes closed and not tell you that we put birdseed on the stairs, and then you're going to break your arm. (laughs) And now, Howlerpod. The tragedy of the gifted is the belief they are entitled to greatness. As a human... You are entitled only to death. Hello, Howlers. Welcome to HowlerPod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising, where every episode we dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the fantastic Red Rising saga by Howler number one, Pierce Brown. Ow, ow. I am your host, Ben Reinert. I am joined today, as always, by the... Amazing. Aaron Ayers. Low Howlers. It's character study time, Aaron. Who will enter the passage tonight? The passage of our in-depth scrutiny and judgment? Will they rise above the rest and be crowned prime? Or will they fall short and be disgraced henceforth as a pixie, 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 pixie? Who are we studying today? Lorne Ah Arcos and Octavia Ah Loon. Some old gold jewelry. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember? Okay, kids, we used to have to watch commercials, me and Ben, because we're old. Mm -hmm. And this commercial is my favorite. (laughs) It was the old gold jewelry guy at the pawn shop. Do you have old gold jewelry? (laughs) We buy old gold jewelry. That's who Lauren and Octavia are. I'm pretty sure those commercials are still kicking around somewhere. Oh, I don't watch commercials anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I don't have I've moved up in the world. (laughs) All right. Let's load up this star show and shoot straight into our character backgrounds. Hopefully we don't shit all suits. Lorne Arcos is a gold known as the Stoneside. He is the former Rage Knight and creator of the Willow Way. He's the most notorious warrior in the society. And even though he's over 100 years old, he's still feared as the most dangerous man in the entire solar system. Lorne is a grizzled old man with a gray beard and hair. He is not exceptionally large for a gold but is broad and kind of muscly, and he just looks tough as all get kinda out. Kind of muscly. Well, he's old still. Definitely muscly. He has thick, scarred hands, and he still wears his House Mars ring. That's pretty cute, I feel like. He is considered more liberal than most golds of the society, but... He's, he's, still, a pa- <laughs> <laughs> he's still a space racist. Still a space racist, and subject to the thinking of the olden times... Remember that time he killed Tactus after he had already surrendered? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of felt like Tactus <laughs> deserved it personally. He was threatening his grandchildren, True. which those are the only people he cares about. 
I'm just saying. But he had given up and said he was going to join Daryl. So, I mean. Well, he also needed to be put down. <laughs> okay. Like a, like a dog with rabies. <laughs> wow. It's a hot take. Hot take. Tactus <laughs> deserved it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lauren did express regret, though. So he's at least possibly capable of changing. Um, he is wise and renowned as a philosopher and removed himself and his family from gold society on Luna when he saw its decay into decadence and needless bloodshed. Lauren served as one of the drafters of House Mars, and he personally pushed for Darrow to be picked 10th out of a 1,000 students. He also gave Darrow his little knife ring thing through Dancer and Fitchner. The ring where he stabbed the proctor in the eye, and it was like, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> bitch, I got a knife ring. After Darrow's victory at the Institute, Lorne wants to bring him on as a lancer, but Darrow agrees to join House Augustus instead. Despite this, Lorne does agree to secretly train Darrow in the Will-Away, which is, like, super cool. <laughs> ben is acting out the Will-Away. <laughs> That's good. Making Darrow his first student since Aja 30 years prior. After multiple years of training, Darrow decides to leave for the academy and and Lauren retires from his post as the Rage Knight and fucks off with his entire household to Europa. <laughs> While hanging out there, minding his own business, not doing anything except just being a subtle space racist, Darrow shows up and forces him to join the Augustus side during the civil war between House Loon and House Augustus. Lauren falls in the lion's reign and kicks major ass, per usual, helping Darrow to victory. He attends Darrow's triumph, which he probably should have not RSVP'd on. <laughs> <laughs> Hot take. And when Darrow is betrayed and poisoned by Roke, Lauren is attacked from behind by Lilith, then gutted and killed by the Jackal with another assist from Lilith. She sucks. He was survived by four of his daughters, including Servilla, and is the grandfather of both Alexander and Lysander. Octavia Loon is the possessor of the Morning Throne and the Dawn Scepter. She's the sovereign of the society in an iron gold. She has an ageless face marred by only one imperfection running along her right cheekbone, the scar of a peerless. Let's be honest. She's a total fucking tyrant. <laughs> I and was like, you're, <laughs> you're giving her a lot of, like, a really good intro here. She views herself as above just about everyone in the society. She will do anything, and we mean anything, including destroying entire fucking moons to hold on to her power and instill fear in her subjects and enemies. Not cool, bro. She, like our old friend Roke, believes that the society system is the best world mankind can have. She has a deep affection for her grandchild Lysander, even though she diddled his brain. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and for the Furies, who she treats like daughters. Octavia originally came to power by allying with Nero Augustus to overthrow her father, eventually beheading him herself and taking his position as the sovereign. Happy Father's Day, everybody. <laughs> 
This alliance did not last, obviously, and we later learned that she was ready to let House Bologna totally murder House Augustus at the Gala Gala before Darrow throws a monkey wrench into the whole situation. Like a space monkey wrench, probably like a space version of a monkey wrench. Oh, not a space monkey? No, but like a monkey wrench, but like the space version of it. What's that look like? <laughs> you know, I think it's like <laughs> on both sides, maybe. It's got a wrench. Or maybe on both it's sides not made out of earth metal. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's made out like, of like probably like morphs into something else, like a hammer too, or something. It's made out of lava. <laughs> <laughs> lava. <laughs> Be hard to hold. Anyways, Daryl fucks up her plan by going full metal badass and challenging Cassius to a duel. We know how that turns out. Not good for Cassius. Octavia stops the sanction duel before Darrow is able to kill Cassius in order to protect her new alliance with House Bologna. After the Gala Gala situation, she meets with Darrow and they play a very twisted and deadly version of Truth or Dare, but with the oracles. <laughs> oh, also, you know the never-ending story mm-hmm. when he has to walk through the, the sphinxes? Those are the oracles. Oh. So creepy. You know, um, whenever somebody says, you know, the never ending story, I just say, uh huh. I've actually never seen that movie. What? <laughs> it's just people talk about it from First time to time. First of all, it's a great movie. Second <laughs> of all, watching it as an adult, it's a fucked up weird movie. Like, yeah. you, as an adult, you like have to take acid or something <laughs> to watch it because it's so fucking weird. Well, now it sounds a lot better. These big, <laughs> strong hands. Dude, I've wa- I fucking lived on that movie as a kid. <laughs> Apparently. I don't know. Not watching it now, I'm like, what kind of shit was I into? This is drug stuff. <laughs> Back to the other oracles. These are buggy oracles, mm. which will murder you if you lie. Right. So then Daryl learns all kind of juicy info from her doing the hot goss. And he manages to also not reveal that he is a secret agent of the Rising and, in fact, not even a gold. Big fail on Octavia's part there. But great job, Darrow, keeping <laughs> yeah. your pulse steady and your your lies non-existent. He ever actually had to tell a lie, right? <sighs> I don't think so. But Aja was like, your pulse is increasing. Thanks, Aja. Can you go get a cup of water in the <laughs> other room? <laughs> yeah. I'm working my We're ass good. off. <laughs> Once Darrow kicks off the civil war between House Loon and House Augustus, Octavia amasses her forces on Mars and secretly flies there in a ghost cloak ship to meet with the Bolognas before the attack. She tries to leave in that same ship when the tide turns against her and it looks like House Augustus is going to win, but Darrow jumps into the back of the ship uh, she orders Fitchner to film his execution, but Darrow kills Carnus, and then Fitchner reveals himself as Ares, saving Darrow from execution in the process. It's me, boyo. It's always been me. <laughs> After the Battle of Ilium, Darrow and the Rising sail on Luna, and Octavia hides in the Crescent Vault for the attack because she's a little pixie. Darrow, of course, has a super secret paradigm changing plan that gets him down into the vault, and with the help of Cassius, Mustang, and Severo, he manages to stab Octavia like a lot 
and very <laughs> graphically. <laughs> but not enough to kill her instantly. Yet, it's like yeah. a slow, you know, like Ex Machina, <laughs> yeah. the like slow stab. Oh, man. Dude, I had nightmares forever about that. I can't that watch that movie again. It's scary. It's disgusting. <laughs> As uh, she lays there dying, she reveals she is being blackmailed by the jackal for the morning throne and that he has nuclear bombs planted all over the moon. She tells Daryl he must stop him, and then she dies as her young grandson, Lysander, looks on. And so is born <laughs> the bad version of Lysander. <laughs> she is our conqueror. <laughs> 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 so next up, we have amazing Heather coming in hot with her historical connections. So I'll start off with Lauren. Heather says, Lauren's first name is Old English for abandoned or forlorn, manifesting through the loss of his sons in disappointment with gold society in his melancholy existence. Despite his unparalleled ability to reap violence, his resulting survival was the very thing that weighed him down more and more with the impact of each death. Meanwhile, Arcos could mean many things. It shares phonetic similarities with Argos, the ship sailed by Jason and the Argonauts in their quest for success and glory. Especially in Golden Sun, Lauren's reputation and diverse strengths were integral to Darrow's initial victory over the Sovereign on Mars. Without Lauren, Darrow and the Augustans would have been stranded in the periphery of the solar system, just waiting to be killed by any number of enemies, just as Jason and the Argonauts would have been easy prey to mythical monsters without a vessel for protection and forward progress. Additionally, Lauren A. Arcos was the grandfather and original mentor to Alexander A. Arcos, making him an Aristotle-like figure. Alex shares the same awesomeness in battle that put Alexander the Great at the apex of ancient Greece by conquering all of the known world during the 330s BCE. When battling the Ash Lord's forces on Venus in Iron Gold, Alexander far surpassed even Darrow in his raw military prowess. Something that is common knowledge in the realm of classical antiquity is that Alexander the Great was the best military strategist of all time, followed distantly by Caesar, who in this case would be Darrow. With Patton trailing much farther behind in third place, just to put their strategic superiority into modern perspective, Alexander the Great was tutored by Aristotle, an incredibly wise and respected Stoic philosopher with a cornucopia of pithy remarks that have endured the test of time and persist today, much like the impression left by Lauren in the Red Rising universe. Mm. Even though many people still look up to Aristotle, the vast majority of his scientific conclusions were purely incorrect, his philosophical beliefs flawed. Shots fired at Aristotle. Jeez. <laughs> I'm looking around like, I didn't say it, it was Heather. <laughs> This pattern similarly echoes throughout the legacy of Lorne. As readers, it's difficult to hold on to animosity for this hard man whose heart has always been centered on family, but Darrow makes it explicitly clear that Lorne wouldn't change the hierarchy of the society. He would just do away with the web of lies indoctrinating the low colors in passive obedience. Darrow loves Lorne not because his beliefs are right, but because they are true, Honesty distinct from most golds in the core. The same could be said about Aristotle. Despite his mistakes, Aristotle stood by his claims. He didn't exist in hypocrisy. 
Heather's just so good. It like it makes my brain grow three sizes. <laughs> like the Grinch, but my brain. <laughs> Moving on to Octavia. Loon obviously refers to her direct lineage to Selenius, the original conqueror and sovereign of Luna, Earth's moon. Despite their children's relationship and shared iron gold ancestry, Octavia and Lorne couldn't have been more different. Lorne suffered the moral consequences of the choices he made to acquire and maintain authority, while Octavia compromised the principle for which she committed patricide so she could continue to feed off power. Patricide! <laughs> the first allusion to her potential abuse of office appeared in her first name. Octavia Minor was the sister of the first emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus, originally Octavian. The historical Octavia was pawned by men for power and glory, a fate shared by so many women under the Roman patriarchy. Fuck the patriarchy. Yeah, fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> Go Octavia, kill your dad. <laughs> Although she was treated as a second-class citizen practically her entire life, in death, Octavia Minor became the first woman deified on account of her piety and sacrifice. When her father overstepped his allotted authority, Octavia Alun similarly donned a facade of serving the people, waiting to carry out her plan of decapitation until the tide of golds patriotically turned to support her. Underneath that mask of civil service, Octavia always intended to rule with an iron fist founded in fear. This tactic parallels Octavian Augustus himself more than his sister, which could have been Pierce's intention all along. After all, the society didn't restrict old leadership positions to men alone. Like Octavia Alun, Augustus did not forgive his enemies. In fact, he banished his only daughter from Rome for promiscuity. He was Ooh, a she's a slow. <laughs> he, as a traditionalist, staunchly opposed, much like Octavia staged the murder of her only daughter because of her desire for societal reform. While Emperor Augustus reigned at the beginning of the Pax Romanus and Octavia at the end of the Pax Solaris. They both worried greatly about finding or molding their successors, and neither really accomplished this goal despite superficial placidity. One final parallel between Octavia Alun and Emperor Augustus is that they both ruled for much longer than nature and democracy would normally allow, 41 years. Oh, they both ruled 41 she years. She has an addendum to that, though. She says, in Golden Sun, Darrow remarks that Octavia has held the position of sovereign for 40 years. But in Morningstar, Darrow stresses that 60 years had passed between the first and second moon rebellions, the former having occurred just after Octavia first seized the throne. Either way, Octavia obviously clung to power longer than she should have, but it's still worth mentioning that she may or may not have ruled for the same duration as Emperor Augustus, depending on which time frame one chooses to believe. Overall, though, the parallels between Octavia and Caesar Augustus remain strong as both were ever willing to ignore the will of the people for personal gain. And then she says, while they may have supported the same corrupt system, Lauren differentiated himself from Octavia through virtue and honesty. She feigned but failed to share. I don't think Lauren can be exonerated for space racism, but it's clear he believed in something beyond himself. Love. The same cannot be said about Octavia. Nice, Heather. <laughs> let's all let's all give a round of applause to Heather here. That was really good. I love that she's starting to give her opinions on 
Primer Pixie, too. Yeah. <laughs> Heather sneaking in. <laughs> Some Primer Pixie thoughts. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our character legacy segment. So, Ben, how did these characters change throughout the series? I mean, did they change at all? Yeah, let's talk about Lorne. You know, he starts out, he's pretty hardcore. Like I love Lorne. <laughs> he's got this whole story that he tells Darrow about how he helped Nero wipe House Silas, basically, off the record, off the map on Mars, and that allowed the Augustus clan to take over. But hardcore. ultimately... He kind of sees the result of all this violence. All four of his sons die. He's pretty fucking sad. Now he's just like an old man. With dead sons. With dead sons. And and everyone's still fighting. Yeah, nothing's getting better. Right. Society is actually getting worse at this point. And um, he's also like unknowingly training the person who's going to break the whole society. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He sees like basically this rise in pixium, pixies and pixieism. Yeah, and decadence and just all the the lying that Octavia does and just how she exerts her power over people and uses fear to rule and um, he's just he's well, not about what, that life, you know. What do you expect when the way you come to power is by beheading your dad. Right. You think she's going to be all rainbows and butterflies after that? Sure. Um, Lauren's just simpler than that, I think. He, you know, he's he values, like, simple things like family and, um, you know, a good razor through a, a neck and that kind of thing. You know, simple, <laughs> simple things like the warm <laughs> splash of blood <laughs> on your face after a good kill. <laughs> Simple things. (laughs) And we see that he still is that iron gold, especially when, like we had talked about, even though Aaron thinks he deserved it, like when he killed Tactus (laughs) after Darrow had uh, forgiven him. Lauren, before the Iron Rain, has that conversation with Darrow, and, you know, he regrets that he did that and that he thinks that maybe he should have given him a second chance. And He was all hopped up, though, because Tactus was a threat to his kids, grandkids. I don't think he ever would have been down with the rising. But, you know, when uh, men enter into their old age, they actually, like, lose testosterone and become more um, like peaceful. sensitive yeah. and empathetic. It's true. Look mm-hmm. it up. <laughs> so maybe he's just, like, leveling out a little bit. Like, he's not as hopped up on his gold jujubes. Right. And I'm just wondering maybe if he was born, you know, a generation later whether he would still feel the way that he does um, or maybe he would be a rising participant at that point. I think it's just like one of those things where he was part of this gold society for so long. The old gold jewelry. Right, that it's hard to change at that point. So we can say he he did change maybe a little. We don't know if he felt regret before, but he even like says... In hindsight, I shouldn't have killed, wiped out a whole family. I probably shouldn't have killed Taxit. Right. He, like, he clearly has regret over some of his Killings. like worst deeds, you know? And, and um, he's seeing his grandchildren grow, so he's kind of softening 
you know, to this new family that he has. Right. And everybody reveres him as this warrior, but he's like, what have I got out of that? You know, I, I don't have anything other than four dead sons and, you know, just a lifetime and of scars and bad memories. You he's, know, he's got uh, grandchildren and daughters and Griffin. I think that's why it's so important to him to go to Europa and just what's live what's, out his life. What's his Griffin's name? Icarus. Icarus. Mm-hmm. Man, he just wants to hang out with his Griffin. And you know, fly Darryl, too close to the leave him alone. <laughs> he did have um, like a giant impact on Darrow. Obviously, like we still see Darrow thinking about Lorne uh, in Iron well, Gold and Dark like, Age. The only reason Darrow's alive at all is because of Lauren's training mm-hmm. and Lauren's help. Yep. He remembers his advice. He commonly like looks back to his teachings. You know, this is one of those, another one of those father figures for Darrow. He has multiple father figures in the story, but like uh, Lauren, especially they obviously spent a lot of time together. He's a major touchstone for Darrow, but also for Lysander and Alexander as well. Um, Alexander's trying to uphold the legacy of the Arcos name. And so that obviously means a ton to him. Lysander, same thing. It's like he's got that Arcos blood in him as well. And that does mean something. Does he? I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you? Are you stone side? <laughs> so obviously, like his legacy is as this giant figure, but he's kind of like a regretful old man. At yeah. This point. He's got a different disposition as an actual human being than like the stories would, would give you. It's very like George R. R. Martin type situation where the character is thought of as one way, but when you actually get to know them, they're a completely different person. Definitely. Okay. So let's go on to Octavia's uh, legacy. So obviously everyone hates Octavia. <laughs> But Octavia um, is very successful, especially before we start reading. Right. She has come to power through grit and ruthlessness and a lack of feeling for right. others. Strength, guile. She's, I mean, it's impressive what she has done, especially for how long she ruled for. Right. She, you know, we first kind of quote unquote meet her when um, we see the video in the mine when she's given her whole pioneer for for mankind speech to mm-hmm. the little reds. That's where you see the beginnings of maybe what this world could be. And then obviously you soon find out that's the big lie and she's at the center of that. Right. And then from there, I mean, she's a fantastic villain, first of all. I, I mean, I really enjoy her as a villain. As the story goes along, she obviously grows more and more paranoid and she's clutching harder and harder to her power, trying to do everything that she can to keep it. And, and she's surrounded herself with the most powerful women fighters Mm -hmm. the furies Mm -hmm. and the most powerful fighter in the universe now aja Mm -hmm. do you think aja could beat lauren now since age difference and everything it seems like aja could probably beat lauren i feel like she just could have beat anybody i mean he does he literally says 
you know, don't fight a river and don't fight Aja. Yeah. So I don't think that he would want that fight either, probably. It's very he, I'm sure he knows how good she is. Yeah. So obviously she's paranoid because she's surrounding herself with these people. And then she really only leads by fear. And mm-hmm. you see it in Lysander's memory. She also only, like, teaches by, with fear mm-hmm. and, like, hardness. Yeah. She doesn't, like gently give any lessons here yeah it's very spartan and just very very iron gold um and she ultimately because of this fear and just her clutching to this power you know she became the thing that she didn't like in her father she becomes this awful tyrant that needs to be overthrown like let's she had her own daughter killed pretty fucked up she, she also diddled her grandson's brain she diddled his <laughs> brain so that he forgot his mom that is on a like a level of evilness that is just terrible well she's she's clearly a psychopath like right. she she's fully just intellectual she has no like remorse and if she does she sure doesn't show it right she's diabolical and it's interesting because she is like this shining symbol of both being an iron gold, but also just like everything that is completely wrong with, with gold. being, yeah, an iron gold. At the same time, she holds both of those things up. Like everything that you admire about an iron gold, she's also just like the opposite spectrum of that, everything that's terrible about it too. And uh, that's what I think just makes her such a great villain. And her impact on this story is enormous. Not only is she... The person that's overthrown by Daryl allows Mustang to yeah, ascend. Yeah, she's she's the biggest villain before we meet all right. the other villains in Dark Age. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, she's on a, like, I mean, I guess you could say, like, the Jackal's a bigger villain than her technically, but at the same time, like, she's... She's got more power than the Jackal. She does. Not only is her impact on Darrow and these characters um, tremendous, but she has this giant, giant impact on Lysander that we're still seeing aftershocks from, and we, we're still trying to figure out exactly what went down. And we're, we're going to see more of those aftershocks in the next book, hopefully when he finally like remembers what was diddled away by right. his grandma. Right. Yeah, so like he still can't remember his mom, and he still doesn't know what happened to him really. Like he doesn't have any idea that his brain was messed with. He's Calendora like gave him the first right. hint, inkling of it, and then he still holds Octavia up when he's going through the desert. He's like looking back on her advice, and, and he's, he's constantly like, well, he remembers. Her. It's interesting. It's twofold because he remembers how horrible she was, but then he he constantly thinks about his he talks about his grandmother's approval. Mm-hmm. Like I'm far away from Aja's like warmth and my grandma's approval. Right. Like it meant so much to him that this horrible woman like was proud of him. Right. And remembering that stuff kind of steals him in that moment. Like he gets some drive from it. And Are you what, awake? Yeah. That's what helps him get through that. And um, ultimately make, the make make his way through the desert so it's like even though she was so terrible to him and he knows that she was terrible she's still like this touchstone for him where he like draws power from that 
and still looks back on her advice and how she would handle stuff and what she taught him. So we'll continue to see that unravel in book six, I think. And that, that'll be one of the most interesting parts would be Lysander hopefully recovering those memories and we find out what exactly happened there. And then on a less individual level, she also left a huge impact on Mercury when she <laughs> like just destroyed the records of the storm gods that she just kept around <laughs> and it's like oh yeah the like how many secrets do the loons have like what are they hiding on jupiter yeah you like what you don't know where they have their claws because it's it's so buried figuratively and literally buried <laughs> yeah. in the planet right yeah the mercurians were not too happy about that whole storm god situation i don't think right so yeah <laughs> octavia legit leaves a lasting impact it's crazy that she can still be such a big character in you know, two books after she's died she's like still this giant presence in the story it's called ripples yep okay let's move on to our next segment which is predictions and we've added a little fun section to this as well fan casting so thanks, Deanie B. He was like, yo, where's the fan casting? And we're <laughs> like, oh, yeah, here it is. <laughs> so predictions for the future. Ben, where will they be book six? I think uh, we're still going to get an appearance from Octavia in Lysander's memory. Yeah, Hopefully probably. some more scenes of her torturing him, because <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a boy. Uh, and we'll finally, hopefully, figure out what she, what exactly she did to him, as far as she obviously erased his memory, but um, find out what she erased. Yeah, find out what she erased. Yeah, but they're they're both dead. Was yeah. what I was getting at. And then there'll probably be, I bet there'll be like one more Lauren quote to open, like a part. You know, like the parts always have like a quote. Yeah, there'll, there'll be a good spicy Lauren quote in there. Hope so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's do some fan casting now. Okay. Who are you going to cast for Octavia? So I chose Tilda Swinton. Mm, fantastic. Because she's golden. She's <laughs> beautiful, flawless, ageless face, mm -hmm. but she can be so scary <laughs> yeah. and like almost ghostly. Yeah. Um, she can play like austere really well too. Yes. Very yeah. austere, yeah. very upright and proper, but also... She's she's not old enough, obviously, to be Octavia, but I think she's old enough to play whatever. Yeah, she can be aged up or whatever. What the um? Well, no, because Octavia has had all those, not stems, but you know, they're plastic surgery. Rejuvenation. Rejuvenation. Yeah. Thank yep. you. So she can she could play the rejuvenated age of Octavia. Right. Uh, and then we I thought this was a good one too. We had um, one of our listeners. Right in Nolan B. Henderson. He suggested Robin Wright as Octavia. <laughs> yeah. I feel like she really has the jawline for it. Strong jaw. <laughs> yeah, it would be great Octavia jawline. I, d I think I like her too much though. <laughs> yeah. I think she can play evil though. That's what I'm saying. I'm not I haven't I don't really watch House of Cards, but that character looks like an Octavia like character. Can be conniving, yeah. yeah. For sure. And then thirdly Kate Blanchett. That's what that would be a good one too. I feel like because I think of her in the Lord of the Rings when she like reaches for Frodo and you're like, ah! <laughs> you know, at the well. Yeah. 
that's yeah. that's what I think of. Uh, that's a good one too. I like her a lot. Okay, who are we casting for Lauren? We we talked through a few, but I think we're going with Liam Neeson. I like this one the best. Cause you know what? When your grandchildren are taken, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you send Lauren after them <laughs> to kill Tactus, <laughs> and he gets him back. <laughs> And if you've seen the new Clash of the Titans movie, you know that uh, he can sport like a long beard, long gray beard and gray hair. He played Zeus in that movie. That's kind of like a Lorne type position. So yeah, he's definitely old enough to be Lorne, right. and but still like fit, right? And still he's got lean. Like the, when you see him on screen, you associate him with like being a badass. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has like that that like resting sinewy strength where right. like. He's he seems relaxed, but he could become <laughs> Liam Neeson at every, any time. I think those are good ones. I think we should be <laughs> the casting directors for the show. Just give us an unlimited budget. We'll hire all of like Hollywood. The most famous people. Because <laughs> clearly we only know the most famous people. All right. Those were our fan castings. Feel free to send in your own fan castings. I know there's tons of threads on the Facebook group and Reddit and stuff, so we can check those out, too. All right, let's move on to the Prime Five. Our top five best character moments for Lauren and Octavia. Numero cinco. So, obviously, that means five. And this, <laughs> <laughs> and this is um, a super badass, super cinematic, awesome scene that I can't wait to watch. Um, this is the oracle scene where they strap on the scorpion things. Oracles. Scorpion worm type Blech. situations. Blech. <laughs> They're all like gooey in my mind. <laughs> yeah. And they can't lie. This is really where Darrow and Octavia first come head to head. Yeah, this and is the square off. This for is sure. square off. And this is also where you see a low red match with the highest gold. And he comes out on top and, you know. Right. I mean, he is close to death and Fitcher's there like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah. This is where Darrow basically proves space racism to be fucking stupid because <laughs> he's he's like, listen, bitch, if you knew who I was, you would lose your mind. Yeah. Like if she just asked the right question, like, are you sons of Aries? Or are you a gold? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she asked him enough to make us all very nervous. For sure. So tense. And then you've got like Aja there watching just him. Ready just ready like, to kill everybody. <laughs> yeah. And then Fitchner's there like, what the fuck do I do if they kill him? Right. You've got to think about in that moment, if that goes sideways, Fitchner might have to reveal himself right then. Does he throw their grenade and jump out the yeah. window? Can he? <laughs> Is there a window nearby? <laughs> Poor Fitchner. So tense. And just and then Darrow just plays her so well. He gets that that really important information about the nukes. And he then he uses that later on against Roke. And um that helps and him Romulus, win. Yeah, yeah. Helps him win the Battle of Ilium. And it's just an amazing moment by Darrow. But yeah, like you said, this is our first introduction to really Octavia. We see her at we meet her at the Gala Gala, obviously. But, but we don't like yeah, we don't get like a fight real with her face to face. Yeah, it's so scary. <laughs> That's what makes it so good. Okay, let's move on to number four on the prime five. Um, this is when Darrow goes to 
take care of plenty, right? He had to take care of business. Yeah. And so we're about to kill plenty. He like cuts the hole in the ceiling. He drops down and then fucking Lauren drops down right next to him. And he just goes, if anybody comes within two meters of Daryl, I kill everyone in this room. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone's like, Oh, oh shit, shit. Lauren's here. <laughs> Doesn't someone try to move and someone kills him? No, he goes somebody moves slightly and he goes 2.3 meters. He like looks at him. <laughs> but I thought someone like cuts their friend down. I like think somebody so, does try to like attack yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. So cuz they're like we don't want to die and they they <laughs> cut cut their friend down like sorry dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so great. And it just um one shows you just like the power of Lorna Arcos, you know, like it legitimately shows the power of his reputation that he's earned over his hundred years of life or whatever. He's a scary motherfucker. Why, yep. why fight people when you can just scare the shit out of them? <laughs> and it just gives so much legitimacy to Darrow and the Augustans in this moment. Um, you know, like, like you said, there was golds that are trying to now win their favor in that room instead of, um, fight against them. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just a it's a big moment for that the the civil war that's going on as Daryl's trying to amp this whole thing up. Lauren's so cool, and it's just very very badass from Lauren. Obviously, I wish someone did come near him, and then we watched him kill everybody. <laughs> then he'd probably feel bad later, though. <laughs> so number three, this is when Daryl forces Lauren to join him. Um, which is a big moment, which is why it's prime five, but it's also a moment that I kind of feel bad. <laughs> well, it's like this moment where Daryl shows up on Europa, you know, Aja's already there secretly. And yeah. She's this is when the, the howlers get to right. walk up out of the ocean, <laughs> yeah. like totally <laughs> movie steam coming off of right. Dude, I'm ready to write this show. <laughs> Let me they go. Come down and do a couple hero landings. Yeah. The Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and Lauren actually wants to help Darrow escape Aja in that moment. He's like trying to get him to fly off on Icarus. And that's when Darrow's like all sad because he's like, He's like, I, I know it. that you are trying to save me, <laughs> yeah. but actually... I'm going to have to pull you into this entire <laughs> situation. <laughs> right. Lauren, Lauren is truly trying to stay out of this. Right. And Darrow's like, nah, dude, like you're either for me or against me and mm-hmm. don't want to kill you, dude. Sorry about your bird. Yep. This okay. is really sad because Lauren says to him, in another life, you would have been one of my sons, Darrow. I would have found you earlier before whatever happened that fill you filled you with this rage. I would not have raised you to be a great man. There's no peace for great men. I would have had you be a decent one. I would have given you the quiet strength to grow old with the woman you love. Wow. You can just like, that's all the regret and so sadness heavy. of Lauren's life. Just like all wrapped up into like a single quote. <laughs> so <Yeah>. sad. <laughs> He doesn't have the woman he loves. He doesn't have his sons. He has no peace. He has you know? no peace. He's yeah. a great man, but he has no peace. Right. It's just so sad. Fucking sad, man. <laughs> and this is where Darrow's thinking, like, if you knew where my rage came from, <laughs> you would kill me, Lauren. Yeah. I would not be one of your sons. Not stone side. He's, you know, sad boy sides. Sad boy side. Oh, <laughs> I bet we need to have a Lauren Ephraim. <laughs> 
hangout sesh at a bar where they just talk about how sad they are. Drink whiskey. Yeah. That'd be great. Let's add that into the <laughs> the script that I'm writing. Okay. <laughs> All right. That takes us on to our number two moment, which is Octavia dying. <laughs> I mean, this is fun for One everyone. of her best moments <laughs> for Ben is when she dies. <laughs> We were having a little bit of fun with the top five here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a great and triumphant moment. For for our characters. For our characters. Yes. Um, not for Octavia, but even in that scene, she's just, she's great. Her still just trying to get, like, Aja to kill them and then finally telling Daryl what's up about She's also trying to jackal. get Cassius to kill them. Right. She's like, what the fuck, Cassius? <laughs> right. And it is kind of sad, the connection that she has, you know, with Aja and seeing, seeing her die. Seeing her die. And then also, like, Lysander being right there. It's just... Um, it's not a good time for the family. No, not great. Not a good day. But a fun time for us, and that's why it's top two. Okay. <laughs> so then uh, here's one where Octavia's not on her back. Number one, prime five. Um, this is when <laughs> Ben is so maniacal. This is when Octavia is torturing Lysander. So we thought this was a great number one. But it's a great... Uh, this is in Dark Age. Uh, this is when Lysander is kind of in and out of delusions while he's wandering in the desert. Um, and he's alone. And uh, he flashes back to the scene where his grandmother makes him run down the stairs and carry a stone and have his eyes closed because she's basically testing his mind's eye. And he falls down and his bone in his arm like comes out of his skin. <laughs> and Aja's there to like comfort him. And then compound o- fracture is sticking out. <laughs> and Octavia is like, Aja, no. And she, Aja's like, his bones. And she's like, no, like don't <laughs> coddle him. Don't ruin him like you ruined your own son. Ajax. (laughs) And this is really where you see how hard and cold Octavia is. Right. And she's his grandma. Right. It's a just My grandma made me cookies. (laughs) I don't think Octavia was doing cookies. She I don't think she made cookies, (laughs) you know? It's pretty sad for Lysander. Um, but it is like a full distillation of her character. You right. Know? You see, you see, this is where she gets a lot of lines and you really see um, how she's training. She's not raising Lysander. She's training him. Right. And you can kind of see into her own mind how she thinks, she kind of thinks of herself not as human, but as like a uh, a mind what, how do I want to say that? She's like ascended, you know? Yeah, she she only sees herself as collecting data and um, making sure her mind's eye, you know, counts all the fucking crows in the tree or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's basically a robot. Right. Yeah, and she's extended. She's like ascended to like a different level of consciousness than like just a regular human being. And she's putting that kind of mindset into Lysander at the same time. And it just kind of goes into how she thinks, you know, she's above everyone else and um, her power over the entire solar system. Just think about how drunk you would be with power if you were like in charge of. And you had already killed billions and billions and billions of people, you know. It's and just you already killed your uh, dad and your daughter. So you've already crossed 
all of the yeah. lines. Yeah, exactly. There's just no coming back. And she doesn't give a shit that she crossed all the lines either. No. That's, that's the thing. It's just like there's and not a lot of regret in that scenario. And this is where the um, quote came from today. But she says you to Lysander after he broke his arm. <laughs> she says, you are known. Another will always seek to bridle you with fists, with kisses, with tricks. The tragedy of the gifted is the belief that they are entitled to greatness, Lysander. As a human, you are entitled only to death. Now, are you awake or asleep? He says awake. Prove it again. While his arm's broken. <laughs> I'm sure Aja's freaking out. It's like his fucking arm's sticking out, Octavia. You see kind of her past in that line as well. She's had plenty of people try to betray her. So she's super paranoid, like yep. you said. Mm -hmm. She's like, because of who you are, like everyone will try to trick you. So you have to be more conscious more aware than everybody else. Right. There's no rest when you have power. Right. Yeah. It's just a total um, look into her mindset. Super fun moment. childhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder Lysander is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of the guys. <laughs> yep. uh, all right. Let's move on to Primer Pixie. Did Octavia or Lauren... Survive the Howlerpod passage of in-depth scrutiny and judgment? Let's find out. All right, here's the case for Lorne Arcus. I mean, he is the badass of all badasses. The baddest man in the solar system. A warrior, philosopher, and creator of the Willow Way. His training and guidance set Darrow on his path to ultimately taking down the society. The case against? He's still a space racist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Howlers on our Instagram vote voted 95% Prime, 5% Pixie. Cutting in real quick. Sorry, this probably sounds super weird. I don't have the right recording equipment with me. We had a late voicemail about Lauren uh, Arcos, and I thought it was fantastic. So I wanted to get it into the podcast so now I've got to record my voice on a weird mic so that we can make sure to get this great voicemail in. Let's listen to the voicemail. Yay! Hi, Erin and Ben. This is Andrea from Toronto, Canada, or as you probably know me on Instagram, The Lavenders. My thoughts on Lauren are a little contradictory. On the one hand, I think he's just as Daryl portrays him, a great man trying to be a good man. His aspiration to live a simple life on the surface is inspiring because he's a legend at everything gold value. He's honorable, blue-blooded, humble, and an exceptional warrior. Lorne is the ideal good shepherd that golds were meant to be. But when we meet him in book two, he seems to disregard these measures of worth in favor of living a quiet life with his family. I mean, he's so great, right? He remembers his servant's name. However, if we look closer, Lorne is good only in ways that are convenient to him. He's perfectly content watching the world burn under Octavia when he loses interest in playing warrior god. Think about it. He's polite to his servants, <coughs> but he's extremely prejudiced against obsidians. He's a snob judging Victor by her family's reputation without even knowing her. If Roke hadn't stood up for her, Victor wouldn't have been around long enough for Lauren to have grown on her, 
grown to like her as he did. He's a little sexist too. The way he treats Mustang is remarkably different from the way he treats Daryl. And it's the same thing with Rogue and Victor. This is kind of weird when you take into account the significant contributions of women in the conquering and thereon. He contributes to Octavia's oppressive regime, first as Rage Knight and after his retirement as a silent bystander to her crime. He has all the social and political capital that he does nothing with. When you compare this to everything that Fitchner accomplishes with his limited resources, it's a stark contrast. Worst of all, he leaves Lysander in the clearly abusive clutches of Octavia. I mean, look at how Lysander turned out. On the surface, Lauren appears to be a great man, but really, he's just great at violence. He's as problematic as the rest of the hierarchy because if Lauren is the epitome of what gold ought to be, he still falls woefully short of a moral and ethical person. In fact, he's, he's a worse kind of pixie. He appears to be iron gold, but actually, really, he's just gold foil. I mean, that's my two cents anyway. Can't wait to hear what you guys think. See, I told you it was really good. Yep, sorry, weird voice Ben back again. Now we'll take you back to our regularly recorded program. Yay, again. Okay. <gasps> okay, Octavia, the case four. A true Iron Gold who ascended to her position in the society through sheer ruthlessness and guile and has maintained it by ruling the hardest of the most hardcore people with an iron fist and no fucking mercy. The case against, she sucks. She's a space racist and she doesn't actually do any fighting herself. She's a backstabber, a family murderer, and a brain diddler. A brain diddler? <laughs> this one was much closer. The Howlers were 48% prime, 52% pixie. All right, before we make our decisions on prime or pixie, uh, we've got an email here from Nick Brindlow. Nick from England. He he's, says. He's our Cassius voice guy. Yes. Please send more Cassius. <laughs> He says, I've been thinking recently about the relationship between these two characters in history, both the cultural and history of the gold and their personal histories. Society builds itself as the ultimate example of social organization and order. Originally, they might have had a point. Remember that the society had its roots in the early colonization of Luna and Mars. As terraforming technologies hadn't been developed yet, these people had to survive in tiny pressurized bubbles, meaning that every pair of lungs had to play a part in order to justify their allocation of limited resources. Over time, these roles became increasingly specialized with color codes indicating divisions. This specialization increased the chances of expertise and innovation and ultimately survival. The problem is that once these pseudo-military groups move beyond mere survival, their specialism is no longer necessary. Instead of innovation, we get suppression. Instead of exploration and expansion, we get stagnation. Somebody's been listening to Quicksilver. Definitely. <laughs> Octavia purports to rule over a society in which humanity reaches for the stars. However, every sign suggests that gold society is regimented and even regressive. In Iron Gold, Lysander is in awe of the harmonized efficiency of the moon lords, stating that it's like watching an ant colony. This comparison ignores individual free will, ostensibly for the greater good, but this argument ignores the fact that the golds were the ones who broke free from the restrictions being placed on them by Earth. Arguably, 
They were the original rising, but like all dictators throughout history, they have simply replaced what came before. Octavia embodies this hypocrisy. She cites the need for order and stability, yet murdered her own father and helped arrange Nero's ascension to become the arch-governor of Mars. She states the need for family loyalty, yet arranges the murder of her own daughter. She argues for the supremacy of the mind and accurate analysis of accurate data, yet she manipulates Lysander's memories and makes extensive use of propaganda. This hypocrisy is best illustrated in the Oracle scene in Golden Sun. Here, Aja states that none of the Palantine elite lie as lies are rust on iron, a blemish on power. However, Octavia is quickly revealed to be deceitful. Indeed, even her offers of truth itself is a lie, as both she and Daryl know that he would never leave the room alive if he learns anything too incriminating. This death, like much of her rule, is outsourced to others. Put together, these shortcomings make her a scion of pixiness, not a sovereign. Wow, a scion <laughs> of pixiness. That's some good shit, Nick. All right. Similarly, Lauren is often held up as the model of martial virtue. His family motto, honor in the first, honor in the last, is a beautiful sentiment, and Lauren himself is widely regarded as a truly honorable warrior for the society. Working closely with lower colors, particularly grays, sacrificing his sons, the greater good, and denouncing the burning of Rhea. He even says he wishes that he could have raised Arrow to be a decent man rather than a great one. However, Lauren's humility ignores the fact that he stayed in his post as Rage Knight for decades after the Moon Lord's Rebellion, acting as a tool of oppression. At the end of his life, he explains the society has been dead and rotting for hundreds of years, and those who fight over it are but vultures and maggots. This is a powerful insight and one that should engender empathy. However, he does nothing to affect reform. Instead, he takes his household to Europa. In his mind, he is still acting as a protector, but such paternalism doesn't lessen his responsibilities to the world as a whole. Indeed, towards the end of Golden Sun, Lorne argues that the colors exist for a reason, and while pinks, browns, and reds are people who should be treated kindly, obsidians are little more than weapons. Based on this, Lorne is ultimately prime, but ultimately doomed. This is foreshadowed by his ironic nickname, Stoneside. Stone is strong. It offers stability and endurance. However, it is ultimately inflexible and will shatter rather than bend. So prime, but kind of. I I just loved his takedown of Octavia. <laughs> that was great. That was great. <laughs> All right. Let's make our own decisions. Thanks, Nick. Aaron, Lauren, prime or pixie? I'm going prime. <laughs> I'm going to go prime too. That doesn't mean I agree with his <laughs> views. We're so full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's just so cool though, man. <laughs> Aaron, Octavia, prime or pixie? So I'm voting for the Octavia that we know in the books. And not like young Octavia. Right. So I'm going to go with Pixie because she's letting everyone around her do the fighting for her. Mm-hmm. Also, she sucks. <laughs> <laughs> ben, what are you going with? At the end of the day, I do not like Octavia, but God damn it, I respect her. She's prime. Wow. <laughs> ben, you're seeing me in the little <laughs> space racist today. <laughs> All right, Aaron, you know what it's time for? What are we into this week? Aaron, what are you into? 
Um, I'm into a fucking amazing. An a fucking amazing? <laughs> a fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast. It's called An Oral History of the Office. Mm. It is um, on, you know, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that jazz. Places to find podcasts. <laughs> um, there's only like four or five episodes out. They come out every Tuesday. So I'm like listening to it live. And it's hosted by Kevin. Kevin Malone. But Kevin doesn't sound like Kevin on the podcast because he's not using like his dumb voice. Oh, so he's acting. So in the show, he's acting. Wow. But he actually has a really good like podcast voice. Oh, nice. Which it doesn't sound anything like Kevin. (laughs) And um, it's uh, basically starting from step one. So if you if you love The Office, if you've seen it more than once, then you'll love this podcast. Yeah. And I've rewatched The Office at least I don't know like four or five times, and um, now I'm rewatching it again, like while I'm listening to it because they point out certain episodes, uh. and it makes it like even better because you're like, oh yeah, they talked about th- it's all behind the scenes, right? Um, and uh, you hear from a lot of the actors. Um, Pam and Jim talk a lot and Jenna Fisher and, um, John Krasinski, John Krasinski. Thank you. (laughs) I know them as Jim and Pam (laughs) and, uh, Steve Carell talks like, and they also speak to Ricky Gervais. They talk about the original office, the British one, um, and how that started the American version. So it's super amazing. I can't praise it enough. So once you Finish this episode of Hallerpod. Go listen to an oral history of The Office. Nice. Ben, what are you into? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is, I would just like to preface this as not a paid advertisement for Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But we love Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> but, and we especially love his tequila. <laughs> <laughs> Which we are drinking <laughs> right now. During this episode. It's called Terramana Tequila. I would highly suggest getting it. It's extremely refreshing. Pair it with like a li- a nice soda water or a squirt and some lime. Squirt is a soda. <laughs> put some lime in there. So good. Put a shot of tequila and you're just going to have the most refreshing uh, little summer drink that you can find anywhere. Terramana tequila. It's ben, fantastic. Ben and I are on like our third bottle now <laughs> since it came out. It's only sold at certain liquor stores. So I literally drive 20 minutes to go buy this, even though I live next to a liquor store. Yeah. And if you like tequila cocktails. It's good for that. If you like to shoot your tequila, it's also good for that. It's nice and smooth. If you like watching The Rock talk, it's also good for that because he, he does like recipe videos on his Instagram. Yes. And I they're fun to watch and he wears really tight shirts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's Terramana Tequila and an oral history of the Office podcast. All right, Aaron, what's coming up next week on Howler Pod? We got a big one. Victra Ah Julia. Wow. And we're working on possibly having a special guest for this episode. Is More information Ju- to come. Is it Julia Barca or just Victor Barca now? I think it's Victor Barca now. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, Victor, big one, big time. Get ready. Don't forget to follow us on the social meds at HowlerPod, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. Email us. Um, tell us 
who your fan casting is for Victra and why. And then also tell us if Victra's Primer Pixie. If you say Pixie. Yeah, we're going to have a big problem. We're going to come find you. <laughs> um, also, check out the Instagram. We'll be posting Victra photos and such. Artwork from ye old howlers out there. And uh, email all of this to howlerpod at gmail.com or you can leave a voicemail. 1-800-516-1540. Tell us, you know, how great Victra is. We need some Victra love. Yeah. On, the, on the voicemail. Talk about Ulysses. <laughs> <laughs> and how you feel about him. <laughs> you know that girl that posted on the Facebook? She's oh like, my God. Victor's baby was just born. I and felt she's all happy. So bad for her. And everyone's like, oh no. <laughs> that was just. Everyone was like, oh, oh. you should keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> like five more paragraphs. He's it's barely like, bored. The next chapter or something like that. Isn't I mean, it? she posted right away. She did not keep reading. Yeah, that was so great. It's uh, that was that was sad. So you can find links to all that at hallerpod.com. Tell a friend about the podcast. Tell a friend about the books. Tell a friend about Taramana Tequila. <laughs> this is not a paid advertisement. <laughs> Taramana Tequila. Although it could be. <laughs> yeah, Rock, where you at? Hey, Dwayne. <laughs> Hit me up um, and rate and review us. Five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, then you will be within two meters of Darrow <laughs> and we'll kill everyone in the room. All right. Thank you to Heather, our wise and wonderful researcher, for all her hard work researching the characters and their historical connections. And thank you, Howlers. Omnisphere Lupus. Oh. Hello.